You are listening to The Pregnancy Podcast with Vanessa Merton. Hello. Thank you for tuning into The Pregnancy Podcast. You can see all of the resources and the transcript for today's episode at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash birth changes. I wrestled with whether or not to release an episode this week. I know a lot of podcasters are pausing content out of respect for George Floyd and everyone else who has empowered the Black Lives Matter movement. This episode was recorded prior to a lot of these events going on, so we don't address it in the episode. In a lot of ways, I don't feel right weighing in on any of this because I am obviously a beneficiary of white privilege, but morally, I also cannot just say nothing. I do want to say Black Lives Matter, and my heart goes out to everyone who's finding ways to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Pregnancy can be a stressful time in your life. And then on top of growing a human, we are in the middle of a pandemic. People are marching in the streets in cities all over the world. It's a lot. But you can't pause your pregnancy. And I want to continue to support you with knowledge and evidence to empower you to feel confident about your pregnancy and birth, especially at a time when things are changing so much. So that's why I am releasing this episode this week. By all means, if you feel like your energy is better spent focusing on more important things, you don't have to listen to this now. This episode will be waiting here for you. I'm sending you positive thoughts. And again, thank you to everyone who is finding ways to support Black lives and help to make real change a reality. In this episode, I'm talking with a doula who is so knowledgeable about all of the things that are going on in hospitals and birth centers and even with home birth midwives as a result of COVID-19. Now, I know that a lot of us would just like things to go back to normal, but I think that a lot of the changes that we're seeing and policies and practices are going to be here for at least the foreseeable future. And I hope you enjoy my chat with Heather. I also want to thank the sponsors who help make this podcast possible. I want to thank Blue Blocks for their support. Blue Blocks makes blue light blocking glasses, and you can save 15% off with the promo code pregnancy. I did an episode a while back on blue light and how that can affect your pregnancy and fertility. We are constantly exposed to blue light. And there's a lot of things that you could do to reduce the amount of blue light that you're exposed to, especially after the sun goes down. But the easiest way to do that is to put on blue light blocking glasses. And I love blue blocks because they block out 100% of the blue and green light in a specific range of 400 to 550 nanometers. And a lot of other blue light blocking glasses do not do this. You know that sleep is so essential during your pregnancy, and your sleep also drives your circadian rhythms and your hormones, and blue light exposure can affect really important hormones for a pregnancy like estrogen, progesterone, prolactin. Blue light can even affect testosterone in men, which can affect sperm quality and quantity. The Blue Blocks glasses look really good. They're very comfortable. And just wearing these for a few hours before you go to bed is going to help improve your sleep and optimize your hormone production for all of those essential hormones for your health and your baby's health. You can save 15% off your Blue Blocks glasses with the promo code PREGNANCY. And to check those out, you want to go to PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash glasses. Right now, you can also save 20% off the Zoller Prenatal Plus DHA. The current promo code for that vitamin can always be found at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash vitamin. Today on the podcast, I have Heather Delaney, who's a doula based out of Maryland. And Heather, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure, Vanessa. I'm really excited. This is something that... I've always wanted to do and, you know, I love to talk about birth and the current situation. So thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, well, I've talked to several different professionals and, you know, I'm pretty much behind a computer and reading a lot of research and news. Um, so it's great to talk to somebody who's more in the trenches and seeing changes going on with home birth and hospital birth. Do you want to fill us in on any of your background and kind of your experience as being a doula? Sure. So I was kind of a newcomer to the doula profession about eight years ago. This is not my first career. I, uh, like many labor and postpartum doulas, found the birth world after experiencing pregnancy and giving birth to my first son, Nathan, um, whom I had. And we just celebrated his eighth birthday. So that kind of led me into examining some options uh, for support for myself and then expanding that into a bigger community that I wasn't aware was out there and around me for advocacy and support and options and really providing evidence-based care to families. Um, I became a labor doula myself through going my donor certification and taking clients as a sole proprietor in the DC metro area. I live in the state of Maryland, but I'm very conveniently located where I can be in Annapolis, Baltimore, or DC or Northern Virginia in about, you know, 15 to 30 minutes in either direction. So um, I started serving clients and then found a greater need for creating a larger community. And Maryland State Doulas was born about five years ago to service as a full service agency with lactation support, labor and postpartum support, childbirth education, which as a former educator was what I really thrived on and brought me to the table. Um, And so, you know, we've been operating and serving lots of families in the area with from birth to through their babies and beyond and have continued to do so as the climate has changed recently um, as you know, we're all experiencing it full front. So there's been a lot of little nuances of that type of support and also seeing what, families who are expecting are experiencing. And it's it's been a very unique experience to go through it, for sure. Unique, for sure. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that's what's difficult is that we're all trying to navigate all of these changes that are going on, which, are, I mean, things are changing so rapidly. It's incredibly difficult to stay on top of all of that. One thing that you and I had talked about before that I really wanted to pick your brain on was this struggle that hospitals and birth centers and even home birth midwives are having to deal with finding a balance between supporting birthing mothers and partners and families and also ensuring people's safety and safety, you know, of birthing families, but also support staff and midwives and OBGYNs. And I'd love just to hear your thoughts on that, kind of what you're seeing on the front lines, so to speak, and how you're seeing that hospitals and birthing centers are navigating that. Yeah, you know, I think when this began back in March, we had a little bit of this is coming, here's what we should all be bracing ourselves for and and starting to have these realistic conversations and dialogues about logistics and what it's going to look like. But I remember very clearly how quickly it became a very emotionally charged conversation as soon as everything here on the East Coast went on lockdown. We in Maryland um, on the 13th were, you know, given the heads up from schools like, hey, starting tomorrow, tomorrow's the last day, and then the weekend's going to hit and everybody's going to be home. And immediately, you know, I contacted my team. I have 20 labor and postpartum duels on my team. And we sat down and, and started to kind of debrief about what changes we were going to see and immediately started seeing hospitals lock down and saying, all right, you know, we're going to really pull back the support of having additional visitors coming into the hospital. And it took quite a bit of, you know, kind of conversation back and forth to clarify that they also meant doulas, that that we really needed to be uh, cognizant of the fact that as much as we do know about COVID-19 and the transfer and the spread, especially when people are coming in in labor and maybe asymptomatic, this was before, obviously, we had widespread testing. So that was even a bigger shot in the dark. How how can we you know maintain a safe environment? And I, I think what was difficult for many, including, as you can imagine, a lot of panicked moms that called me saying, you know, we were not anticipating this. What is this going to look like? We were really hoping 
that we're going to be able to have support there. Is my husband still going to be able to come? Can my wife still come? We're looking at New York and New York isn't even letting them in. You know, what, what do we do? How do we, you know, can navigate the situation? How we were all able to take those emotions and put them aside and, and really talk about the safety aspects of supporting the people that I also care deeply about, which are the nurses who I work alongside every time at a birth and see regularly and know by on a first name basis, some of whom I know, you know, on social media outside of, you know, working next to them in tandem in hospitals um, and the care providers that, you know, that's their work environment. They don't have a choice about who's coming in and whether they're positive or negative. And you know, luckily we have, rapid testing here now so that everybody is getting swabbed prior to coming in in labor, but, you know, really making sure that it was a safe place to be and what decision making needed to go into place of protocol during birth that sometimes we would talk to families about their options in terms of things like monitoring or whether or not they wanted to have pain medication preferences like an epidural and, and what changes were going to happen if there was no longer a safe environment for being intubated during birth. So in emergency situation, obviously, um, in a cesarean. So we really had to take a step back and, and consider, you know, where is the even ground? Where can we provide support and continue to help families when we can't physically be there because it's not the safest for us to be continuing to have different contacts within different hospitals? And, you know, I know you and I were talking about this, Vanessa, I don't necessarily know that there's a right answer, especially now that we've gotten on the other side of Memorial Day and things are starting to relax a little bit in terms of lots of states heading into phase one. Um, over here in the East Coast, almost every single hospital that has decided to keep that protocol nice and small in terms of visitor status is staying that way. They're not really opening back up. And, you know, that kind of led to another emotional discussion. But um, kind of my my preference and standpoint is, you know, we still have so many questions and it's still a situation where we need to keep everybody safe. And if we're continuing to spread contact, you know, myself in, in question, if I have two clients at two different hospitals and I'm going to support a family and then four days later, one of my other clients goes into labor at a completely different hospital. I'm taking the environment of one hospital, every single railing I touch, every person I interact with, and I'm taking that to the climate and environment of the other hospital. And ethically, to, to me, that's just not a, a chance that any of us should be taking. And luckily, we have other support ways and, and mechanisms and technology that we've been using to make that bridge and during this you know, really unique situation until it feels safe again to do so, keeping everybody able to perform their jobs and do it to the best of their ability. Yeah, well, and that's the hardest thing is I still think that there is just so much that we don't know. There's so um, much we don't know. <laughs> and hospitals, it seemed like a lot of hospitals kind of had this knee jerk reaction in the beginning. There was kind of some panic going on, you know, about how do we keep everybody safe? There was concern about hospitals getting overwhelmed. And I'd like to think that they're going to relax some of those policies. Obviously, we saw in New York, they were saying partners couldn't be present. And that got a lot of backlash pretty quickly, which I think is good. I think that birthing mothers should not be doing this alone. I think they should have a support person there. I'm not sure that I expect hospitals to just, even when we see phase two, three, whatever it is in these different states roll out, if they're just going to roll back to business as usual prior to COVID-19. Yeah, I, I've definitely started to think about what that is going to look like myself um, for our practice and for our families, because now that we have newly pregnant mothers that are contacting us as we head into the back end of the year, that's the big question is, you know, I really want to have my family there. I really want my sister to be available and, and there at my labor. I would really love to have my doula in person in the hospital or in the birth center at my home birth. Do you think that this situation is going to be the same in December? And, you know, I, I don't know, but, um, I honestly, from my conversations with care providers and hospital staff here, I do not see visitor policies changing at least for 2020, and being reexamined heading into 2021. And I, I had a conversation with a client today, and it brought up definitely some opportunities for, you know, thinking about our visitor policy and maybe even reexamining it as a whole, because 
one of the things she was really concerned about was what is it going to look like to the climate of my labor if I am inviting a ton of people there in December and they can come and they need updates and someone needs to communicate with them about how I'm progressing if I don't want them in the room the whole time or I feel uncomfortable asking them to step out. And I said, well, here's the thing. You have this incredible opportunity that's been handed to you that if hospital policy is saying it's just you and your partner, then you get to have that bubble and not have to have what might for you be difficult conversations <laughs> with family about whether or not they should be there or can be and, you know, have them sending you well wishes from afar. But but really taking that time to keep it an intimate experience and keep it just between those people that you choose to invite for very specific roles um, and those families that have had to have that and have mourned the loss of not having people with them have in hindsight kind of enjoyed it <laughs> and, and not been so stressed about the immediate postpartum and having, you know, six, seven, eight people flooding their tiny room on the mother baby unit and being like, well, I kind of want to sleep now. So here's the baby again. And, and then when you leave, this baby's going to be crying and need me and <laughs> I'm not going to have the chance to get some rest. So we've really been, trying to embrace and really, really squeeze some, some lemonade out of these lemons <laughs> when it comes to some of the policies and, and where those are headed. But uh, it, for my practice, especially, I've been telling all of our families, there will definitely be some changes to support. And if we can be there and it's safe to do so in person to have a doula support you in the hospital, of course, we want to be there. Um, but we can't say for certain, you know, what December is going to look like. I don't think even the best epidemiologists know what that's going to be in terms of, of where things should stand. And I think hospitals are going to continue reevaluating and, and saying the policies that we put in place for this might you know, be some semblance of what we recreate for the future and, and keep in place. And, and maybe that will be longer lasting than just a couple of months. Yeah, it's going to be so interesting to see what happens. And I think hospitals will stay on the conservative end with what they're doing. One thing I've almost expected, and I'm not seeing much evidence of it, maybe you are, is there any move to get families home sooner after birth, not holding them in the hospital for 24 hours? Yes, there, there's there been a lot of that and, and some surprise for many families who maybe aren't expecting it. And it's something that I've been working hard on in my education series from communicating with hospitals here. And I always encourage families to do when they're exploring having their baby in this time of COVID is communicating what their preference is for their postpartum stay, because we've seen everything in terms of families in vaginal birth being kept for one overnight and sent home. Um, we've seen some hospitals say, we would like to send you home after one night, but because your insurance covers a second, you have the option to stay unless we're totally full. Um, so I've, I've seen an instance of either of that, a family that wanted to stay and were told they couldn't because they needed the room and a family that was told that if they wanted to stay because you know, they, they wanted a little bit more assistance, a little bit more time to recover and get a handle on breastfeeding, see the lactation consultant in the hospital one more time that they were able to stay. Um, and then we've seen, you know, just the same, some hospitals that are keeping things normal and cesarean, especially uh, one of the things that I've been a little concerned about is the rapid discharge for some of our cesarean patients that uh, usually it's three to five days dependent on blood pressure regulation, how wound is healing, how able to get up and about mom is after delivery. And now what we're seeing is that those birthing persons are being sent home after two nights. And sometimes it takes much longer just for getting the hang of breastfeeding, making sure that breathing is under control, that blood pressure is stabilized. And I, I've had two instances where I've had in our practice, whether it was a, a doula client of mine personally, or one of our other doulas um, clients within the practice, a person having to go back to the hospital and be readmitted because they were just sent home too soon after a cesarean. And once they got home, they were feeling fine and then started to experience some of the postpartum warning signs that we keep an eye on in terms of dizziness, you know, pain and swelling in legs, feeling like there were um, unregulated blood pressure issues. And so on the postpartum end is, is really where I am upping our support 
to make sure that we're connecting with families and having those conversations, because especially for first time families going home and, and not really understanding what to expect if they're going home a little bit sooner and discharge is happening much more rapidly um, with with intent. I think the te- intent behind it is right. Let's get families out of the hospital and minimize their exposure to anything that could be around. But unfortunately, the the follow up checking in especially when it comes to how are you in terms of the way that you're feeling? Do we need to check your blood pressure? Everybody doesn't have a blood pressure cuff at home. Um, I've had a, a very big care practice here has been telling their pregnant families to gain a blood pressure cuff and a scale for their baby and to kind of put the the responsibility on them at home to be doing a lot of those regulations and checks. And I feel like that's just one more weight to put on an already newly <laughs> kind of postpartum family um, who's experiencing that, you know, new frame of life for the very first time. And now we're asking them to do all of these things and and look for warning signs on their own. It, it definitely adds to the stress and the chaos of the situation. Right. Plus they're doing it without a lot of other support where yeah. normally you're going to have family and friends coming by and bringing you meals and wanting to come hold the baby. And if you're not having visitors or people you know, are being cautious about coming to see you. I can imagine that definitely puts a lot more pressure on you to just be taking care of everything on your own. I want to talk about more specifically exactly how your practice is dealing with supporting clients virtually. It sounds like this is a perfect example of where having a doula is going to give you kind of a lifeline for more support postpartum. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys are navigating all of this and how the virtual support model is working for you? Absolutely. So we were a little spoiled in that I had already experienced virtual support prior to having to make the jump to that platform. So when we were starting to look at options and examining what we we're going to do for all of the clients we already had that were, you know, sometimes imminently, we, we had a mom who was you know, going to deliver the very next day (laughs) and, you know, needing to put things into place for her as she was starting to look at what her support system was looking like. We we needed to make sure that we were going to safely be able to assist them in home if necessary. And I would say now that we've, you know, had two and a half months of virtually supporting clients through labor and through postpartum, a majority of our families have asked us to come support them if they're not being induced safely at home. And that in and of itself had a lot of, you know, moving parts that needed to happen because each individual labor doula has their own comfort level with how many clients they can commit to being with for a certain period of time and not feel like they aren't providing the best support that they can to each family. It's a very physically and sometimes, you know, um, emotionally intense position to be in when you're supporting one family after another. And so some of our doulas had a very full calendar and some, you know, tend to keep their calendar a little lighter. And normally that wouldn't be an issue. But when we are considering there is a quarantine period between interactions with people and having to make sure that if there were any you know, asymptomatic positive COVID-19 tests that our doulas were receiving that we want to make sure our contract tracing was small. So immediately we went into lockdown and then had to look at our calendar and say, before I join this person safely in labor, laboring at home before they go to the hospital and switch over to virtual support, can I do that safely? Because I've had two weeks between the time I I was in contact with another family. So for some of our families, we did have to spread out and put some support on standby. We always have a backup tool on our team that is really integral and involved in our clients' care. So they already knew that person and, and just knew that if a doula had already been at a birth and it hadn't been two weeks, that if they wanted in-home support prior to going to the hospital, then we were going to be having that team member tagged as as the doula who was physically supporting them. So in terms of what things have looked like prior to labor's onset, um, the changes we've done are instead of being in homes for prenatal visits, we're doing them virtually, which isn't that different, except when we're describing comfort measures. Um, we really had to kind of reinvent the wheel for that and just be much more descriptive, have lots of models up on Zoom or Skype or whatever platform we were using 
to be able to show and give confidence to uh, support partners so that they knew what they needed to do. And then because most of the hospitals in our area are not allowing doulas in unless we are the primary support person, which for some of our single birthing persons, we've still been doing. We support families in home, keep labor moving, helping them feel confident about laboring at home for sometimes a longer period of time, which is being recommended for healthy pregnancies by care providers that they really want people coming in kind of ready to go and and well advanced active labor. So we get them to that point and then kind of say goodbye and log on to a HIPAA compliant platform, which for us is the Ring Central platform of Zoom because we are allowed to use that um, under that hospital HIPAA policy and also maintain that we're not recording anything or, you know, kind of saving pictures from from that platform. And families come in, they bring in either a laptop or an iPad. Those two scenarios have worked really well for us and open it up and there's their doula. So we're able to see everything. um, And it really has been enthusiastically embraced, not only by the families who are bringing us in, especially partners. Partners are kind of the number one champion of, let's hop on the Zoom. We're ready. Let's go. Okay, let me take you here. They usually put uh, the iPad or the computer on the tray table and just kind of move us around. If we're in the bathroom, we come to the bathroom. If we're next to the bed, we go next to the bed. If the bed gets heightened, so does the tray table. And and we've been able to see really, really well everything that's happened. Um, but the provider is also nurses coming in, OBs and midwives are kind of leaning in the screen and waving and saying, hi, we miss you. And and we've been able to communicate with them and, and have great conversations if people need support um, through making decisions or if a partner is providing a great deal of physical support and it looks like time to change positions. We've been the one sitting there guiding them through, hey, it sounds like a good time to abandon this position for a while. You're feeling a lot of pressure right at the front of the top of your pubic bone. So maybe it's time to start doing some forward leaning, um, getting some rebozo sifting in there. And then again, bringing up pictures and models, doing examples on our end to show, um, asking a lot of questions to the person laboring. Do you feel this? Where does the discomfort feel so that we can make little tweaks on our end? So mentally, it's definitely made me a little more tired than physically. Um, But it's amazing how I I come out of the other end of a birth experience and I still feel like I was there doing 50 hip squeezes the entire time I was there because there's, there's just so much of that energy that's still being transmitted through that medium. Um, And and it's been a really fun, I don't know if that's the right word, (laughs) but it's, it's been a very unique experience that I'm really grateful families have been so happy to have because One of the other things we're seeing because minimizing contact coming in and out of rooms is there is a longer period of time where they're completely on their own in that room. And so they have somebody there that is guiding through uh, how they want to be moving and laboring when it's time. I, I was at a birth actually just the other night, two nights ago, where a provider had just checked, uh, the person who was laboring and things were progressing really quickly. She's a first time mom. And they said, you know, I know you feel pushy, but it's really not time to push right now. You're still only seven centimeters. I I really want you to just labor and call us back in an hour or so. And I was watching her and I was seeing how she was laboring and I could hear at the peak of a contraction, she was starting to get a little grunty and she had progressed very rapidly all day long. and, And I said, you know what? I I think you sound like you are starting to push. And she's like, all I feel like is I have to poop. And it's constant. It has not stopped. I feel like I'm just going to have this baby. And her partner was a little frazzled because he said, but they said, call us back in an hour. We we don't know what to do. What, what should we do? And I said, go call your nurse. Call your nurse and tell her that, you know, you and your instincts and, and how she's feeling needs to be seen by somebody. And so, you know, he went and he called the nurse and the nurse came in and she said, well, you know, you can't push right now. You just feel this way because, you know, sometimes that descent of that baby makes a lot of pressure when you feel it constantly call us back and she's left again. And sure enough, the next contraction happened and I could tell that things were really going forward. So I told her partner, I said, you go in the hallway 
and you get that nurse and that doctor and you come right back in and tell them they need to come in now. And sure enough, they came in and that baby was born 10 seconds later. (laughs) Wow. So, you know, it, it was definitely, they felt validated because I think they were really lost. They felt like, you know, we were just told that there's no way I'm going to have a baby in 10 minutes. Um, the resident told me there's no way that that I could possibly have a baby. You know, I was just seven centimeters. And um, so sometimes just having someone alongside them to validate. Yeah, no, you know, the way you're feeling is absolutely valid and, and correct. You should insist that, you know, somebody see you. And and sure enough, you know, bless her heart, the resident turned to me and was like, thank you for being here because we would have missed that. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, it's it's birth is unexpected and there's definitely twists and turns, but having a lot of downtime when families are trying to navigate that and don't know what to look for, or, you know, think that maybe they're misunderstanding their own instincts, you know, there, there needs to be validation for that. And it has been great to see that through video, we've been able to provide that type of support to families so that they can still experience, you know, having space and safety and information and validation that, you know, yeah, this is painful. Here's your options here. Here's what we can do. Let's keep working the problem and and find a solution so that you have one less thing to worry about with all of these other layer cakes of, of COVID-19 specific things that are now on their plate when they're starting to navigate that. Yeah. And I'm, I think a lot of people maybe underestimate, it can be very challenging to advocate for yourself, especially in a hospital setting. You know, it's easy to think, oh, well, when I go into labor, I'm going to, you know, ask for this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to stand up for what I want. And then getting in there, it's, it's hard. It's hard when you have people telling you, you know, how you should be feeling and dismissing what you're telling them. And so that's awesome that you can be there virtually just to be supportive and give them that nudge to feel like they can stand up for themselves and advocate to what whether it's to get a nurse back in or what. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely been something that I think honestly we will probably continue even after this is done because it's a completely different facet of care. And one of the really beautiful things that I've seen throughout this entire experience is watching partners really step up and do some incredible things that they may not have been as comfortable to do because they did have support and support for them as well. And so uh, in a postpartum debrief with that same family, I talked to them this morning and her partner told me there was no way that I would have felt comfortable doing some of the physical aspects of this labor and also running out in that hallway and being like, get in here, we're having a baby. If I didn't have somebody telling me it was okay to do that. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the partners that are helping people birth during COVID-19 are incredible. And it has been so cool to see. And, you know, I think that virtual support definitely was something people were tentative to see how it was going to work. They were grateful they were still going to have support, but they weren't quite sure how it was going to translate. And so now, you know, watching that unfold and seeing the success in it and and also giving that space to providers, too, that a lot of times when these things are happening, it's because they're trying to keep themselves safe. And I can only imagine how they must be feeling with all of these protocol changes, the constant anxiety of coming into a hospital and getting infected every day, you know, dealing with an onflux of patients, the the tension and the emotions are so high every day, all the time. And this is allowing them to have some support, too, so that they can continue to do the best job they know how with all of these obstacles in their way, too. And a lot of times we're seeing those, you know, translate into decisions or even sometimes flat affect. I I constantly talk to pregnant persons on the phone who are saying, you know, I really thought I'd get more compassion from these questions in my provider checks. And I'm like, they're just tired. You know, they're tired and they're stressed. And sometimes they don't have the answer for you and they feel terrible that they don't because that's a provider's usually a big part of their job. And what brought them to this profession is to have that answer. And they just don't right now. And and it's hard for them to be able to say confidently, yes, absolutely. You know, here's what you can anticipate. And, and they're in their head. And so I think there's a lot less warm fuzzies to go around. And so we're really trying to step up and, and provide those and still be excited about virtual baby showers and, you know, make sure that people are still 
excited about the fun parts of pregnancy when everything else feels kind of like we're setting it on fire. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear just about all the good experiences that you guys are having doing virtual support. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, it's we are trying to get some lemonade out of these lemons that we're being given right now and just trying to navigate this changing environment as best as as we can. I know you mentioned you've got nurses or care providers coming into rooms less often. Can you talk a little more about what you're seeing in terms of continuous electronic fetal monitoring or what policies you're seeing about wearing masks in labor and some of those other changes? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I've been recommending to anyone who is giving birth in the next, you know, if you find out you're pregnant today, if you're birthing in 2020, beginning of 2021, good questions to bring up to your team um, are, you know, how are the preferences that you normally would put in place for things like electronic fetal monitoring going to be changed? What is going to happen when you're coming into the hospital? Simply coming in and checking into triage is totally different now because now at the door, when families are arriving, they are, for the most part, having temperature checks for both the partner and the person in labor. And then the person in labor is receiving a COVID swab the nasal swab to be able to have that rapid test sent off and make sure that by the time they deliver their baby, they can be treated as negative and not asymptomatic. Um, So those were a couple of anxieties that some of our, you know, laboring families have expressed nervousness about, about the nasal swab or getting in and it's taking a little bit longer to get into triage and checked into a room and a partner has to wear a mask as long as someone is coming in and out of the room. In the beginning of, you know, masks being distributed, which is pretty much only a month old at this point, uh, a lot of people who were going to be birthing were panicked going, I'm not going to wear a mask when I'm pushing. That just sounds terrible. I'm going to be really hot and sweaty and uncomfortable. I'm worried I'm going to hyperventilate. All valid. You know, those are all valid things. Luckily, what we've seen is a mask is being given to the person laboring and That's staying on through triage. And then as soon as someone is in the room, that's coming off for the person birthing. So um, if you're scared about seeing a mask when you're coming in, definitely have that conversation with the nurse and the care provider. And for the most part, they're compassionate. They don't want you to be uncomfortable with one more physical sensation. So keeping that mask on in triage is simply because you're interacting with so many more people, nurses, the on-call that are going to be sharing air and breathing space with you. And, you know, kind of navigating and making a plan for when you're coming into the hospital can also help you to cope with that period of time having a mask on. So you're not coming in ready to have a baby feeling like that's going to be, you know, just completely unimaginable for you at that moment. But partners usually are wearing masks when nurses are coming in. So what that's usually looked like is partner wears a mask when the nurse is in there. As soon as the nurse leaves, partner can take the mask back off. I've had some partners that just brought a cloth mask um, and hospitals are okay with those being used. And, And I have been recommending to birthing people to bring cloth masks because they're more comfortable for the postpartum end because on mother baby, same thing when you have your care providers coming in and out to check baby nurses coming in and out, you're still going to have to wear a mask during those periods of time. And that'll make it more comfortable for you. But the the big piece that a lot of people are putting on plans and normally do put on plans for, for uh, normally progressing labor is to be able to use intermittent monitoring and not have to be connected to the monitors the entire time. If they get a reassuring heart rate monitor reading on baby, a good strip for 20 minutes, being able to take the monitors off and move around freely. Since there has been concern about, you know, staffing, all hospitals are short staffed on their nurses right now, you know, making sure that baby is being traced and contractions and heart rate are continue to be charted. Many hospitals are asking people coming in in labor to be continuously monitored, even when there's no evidence that they need to be on a monitor continuously. And so a couple ways to get around that are to talk with your care team about whether or not they have wireless or Monica monitors. Um, some hospitals are lucky and they have many and are able to get those on and use them. Sometimes that's not an option. And if it's not an option, how can we keep 
monitors on you and still have you moving around freely and able to get comfortable in labor, getting in and out of the shower without having to be unplugged constantly or, you know, come to some compromise like putting a shower into your plan after doing three or four different position changes for about an hour and a half and then getting the shower for 40 minutes, having that interaction with the nurse and then being hooked back up. Um, can we put belly bands over those monitors so that when you are forward leaning and changing positions frequently that you're not, you know, losing the tracing of baby and picking up your heart rate in, instead. Luckily, a lot of providers are being really patient with that and saying, yep, yeah, let's, if we have to be continuously hooked up to monitors that are plugged in, we can do a lot to make that more comfortable and make sure that the people in labor who didn't necessarily want that to be a big part of their plan are still able to maintain the other aspects of their comfort measures that they were looking forward to and going forward in, in that, you know, kind of management style. Some other things that we saw and are with some practices continuing to see is a recommendation that families receive an epidural if that's a part of their pain management preference particularly early on in their labor. And one of the thinkings behind that, and it was really unfolded and described well to me by a, a close colleague who is a labor delivery nurse, was that there is a effort to minimize the exposure of someone who would have to be put under general anesthesia in an emergency cesarean, or if their blood platelet count came back and their body did not support an epidural and they had to be put under general, the amount of water droplets that would be exposed to everyone in the OR would put everyone at a great amount of risk, especially since that person, even being swabbed and being considered, you know, COVID negative, sometimes those swabs are faulty. Sometimes we we have someone who is asymptomatic or maybe the test didn't come back or it was a false negative. So, you know, protecting them is is kind of the big reasoning behind wanting to make sure that pain management and, and those options for if surgery is put on the table is present. Um, but if someone doesn't want an epidural, that is definitely something that would make for a big conversation with a care provider to make sure that those plans are known. And I, I have yet to see a care provider force that on someone um, saying, no, we really want everyone to receive an epidural so that, you know, that's in place. And we know that that's ready to go in case of emergency surgery. Um, even with some of our VBAC clients who, you know, may have been on the fence about that. And so the ball has still been in their court, but I've, I've definitely heard stories from other places around the country, from other doula colleagues, other nursing friends, where some practices have decided that's the safest for their team is to maintain that pain management scale with an epidural for everyone that's birthing, unless they come in and they're, you know, a stop and drop, they're ready to have a baby the second that they get there. And it's, it's something that families should have, continuous voice for that if that is not a plan of yours and you do not want that to be a part of your plan, you know, examine those options, discuss with your care team why it's important for you to not have that epidural unless you request it and continue to have that that option available for, for that support. Um, those are kind of the big three that, that we've been seeing. The, the mask wearing, the administration policies with, with monitoring coming in and, and being continuously monitored, and then epidural usage. And, and then overall, just seeing care providers less, seeing doctors and nurses coming in far less frequently than usual um, and, and having to, you know, definitely navigate that situation and and see kind of where the physical support is coming into play with those interactions with those people. Well, and I think so much of this comes down to you have to have communication with your doctor or midwife way before you go into labor, right? These are not conversations that you want to have in the hospital when you're in labor. You know, you want to have good communication with your doctor or midwife about how these policies are going to affect you which I imagine can be terribly challenging when these policies are changing all the time. Yeah. And if you're due in a week or two, definitely you want to be having these conversations with your doctor or midwife. If you just found out you're pregnant, you know, we don't know what these policies are going to be like by the time your baby's going to be arriving. Yeah. What are you recommending as far as any specific 
like good talking points or questions that people should be asking their doctor or midwife, you know, within a few weeks when they're expecting their baby. Yeah, that, that's definitely a great thing to bring up at any stage of the pregnancy and, you know, maintaining that relationship of communication with the care provider is, is forefront. I, I have always been a huge proponent of that and writing down questions and having a place to discuss that, whether you have a labor doula that can help give you a couple heads up on tests and procedures, whether you don't and, and you want to keep, you know, kind of informed of what things are changing. A great question to kind of offshoot at any stage of pregnancy is currently what are your office's practices surrounding comfort and support in labor? Can I move? Where are you anticipating families wanting to deliver? Some offices are asking families to, you know, allow there to be time to set up a table and put on the traditional mask and gown for the care provider to, you know, not be exposed to anything. And some are like, you know, I'll catch your baby wherever, you know, kind of maintaining how that practice is marrying their normal philosophy of care to COVID is going to give a very clear picture about how things may unfold in labor. Asking about, you know, current hospital practices and how, you know, they're finding those are being navigated by their team and whether they're big proponents of, you know, using masks in labor for partners and family, how they feel about people having to be continuously monitored, um, when they want you to come into the hospital. If you're a healthy pregnancy and labor seems to be progressing normally on its own, do they want you to stay home for a longer period of time? We've had a lot of care practitioners, you know, recommending that to families saying, you know, if your goal is not to be monitored and to freely move and you have a labor doula and you would like to have an unmedicated labor, you're, you don't have any pre-existing conditions. And, you know, we've been monitoring baby and your well visits and everything's been great. Stay home until you're ready to come in and have a baby. A lot of our, our OBs and midwives have been saying that to families and um, really encouraging them to be in an environment that helps them labor and, and feels more conducive. So that's definitely a huge question to ask, you know, what are you going to want me to do if that happens? What would be your recommendations for induction? Are you doing more inductions because you are concerned about beds and you're concerned about staffing? Are you giving more flex if it's a medication? Um, I'm sorry, an induction, not a medication. We use medications for induction. Um, if you are having me come in for an induction and maybe it's not medically necessary yet and we can still do some tests of fetal well-being to maintain that it's okay to continue being pregnant is there room to flex on induction? Big questions for VBAC candidates is, you know, when do you expect me to have to go into labor? You know, what are those policies going to do to impact my goal of achieving a successful vaginal birth after cesarean? Um, so, so really getting a temperature on your provider is a good place to shoot off from. And Um, it can bring up some uncomfortable conversations. I would say, you know, and I am a person who is a huge fan and supporter of care providers. I have enjoyed having great relationships with them over the years. I know all of the stress they're under. I empathize with the situation they're in. Um, However, what I've been telling families is if you're having these conversations, regardless of when you're due, and those conversations are kind of being brushed to the side, or you're being told, well, when we get closer, we'll talk about it. Well, when we when we schedule induction, we'll talk about what we're going to do. That's probably a sign that you should insist upon having that conversation right now. Or if you're early enough in your pregnancy where you're starting to feel that maybe the decisions that might be made in those moments won't support the type of birth that you're looking to achieve and and your support network is, you know, not necessarily going to be conducive to that then you might want to consider changing practices. <laughs> uh, we, we've seen a lot of families decide simply to abandon the hospital setting and go to home birth if there's a home birth midwife locally that can take them um, and they feel confident and comfortable in that situation um, or simply switching offices because of, you know, the the communication and, and bedside care and, and how that's been unfolding for each subsequent prenatal visit. Some families have decided that they need to have that compassion and support and patience and time to go through all of their decision-making and know as transparently as providers can be uh, about what they're going to 
encounter when they're developing with that practice. So, you know, continuing to, you know, kind of have those conversations and say, no, I want to have it right now. I don't want to have it, you know, in four months when I'm having a baby. And obviously things might change. But if I was going to have a baby today, how do you feel about me moving in labor? How do you feel about me birthing in the bathroom standing instead of prone with my legs in stirrups with a big drape underneath me and you with your hazmat suit on having to stop pushing so that you can get set up? (laughs) So, you know, there's definitely ways to to gauge that support from your care provider. And and it's definitely a lot more in terms of questioning right now. And I think that that's definitely stressful for families. So, you know, finding a, a good support professional, finding somebody who has a good list of questions you can ask um, is a good offshoot point from any stage to to really start to anticipate and paint a picture of what you might encounter when you're birthing. Those are all great things that you should be bringing up. If you're going to have a conversation that's uncomfortable with your doctor or midwife, you don't want to do that in labor. Oh. <laughs> right? Like time. now is the time to get that out of the way. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think uh, especially women in labor, we're people pleasers by nature. And so having that resolve going in and saying, I'm going to have this uncomfortable conversation and how I feel about the way that that conversation leaves me matters. And if I have an intrinsic just gut feeling that that conversation should have gone differently or I didn't feel great after it, then it's valid. It's a valid thing to then go forward and either debrief that conversation with a doula if you have one or with your partner or come back to your practice the next week and say, you know, I didn't really love how that conversation went. And I just want to clarify where I am putting wishes and I want to feel confident that you'll support me as safely and best as is possible to do these things that I want to do in labor. Right. When are you getting involved with clients generally, if you pick up a doula client? So we see clients all across the board. I would say the most common time that I interact with families is either right in the middle of their pregnancy, right after they found out if they're finding out gender of baby and anatomy scan has gone well, or kind of close to a month out at the tail end. Um, I'm fortunate that I teach a lot of childbirth classes in the area. And so a lot of times we find our clients after they take a class late in their second trimester, early in their third, and then they realize, wow, there was a lot more to this process than I thought I would be interested in, you know, putting my wishes forth with. And, and I think having a support system for that would be really helpful. That being said, I talked to a first time expecting person today who just found out that she's pregnant and knows that having support system and a guide through pregnancy is going to be really integral. Uh, I think a lot of times people forget that doulas aren't just for birth. We're, we're for prenatal and pregnancy support too. And, and more so than ever, we've really checked in with our, our clients, um, sometimes daily as they go through being pregnant in the time of COVID and, you know, updating them on hospital policies and updating them on, hey, heads up, here's what they're saying about masks. Here's what your mom's group is saying this is what we've been told, bring it up in your next visit. It's not going to be something that that you should be overly scared about, because here's exactly what's happening. So you know, I think a lot of the good that's being spread by pregnant in September groups, or, you know, moms of Bethesda, you know, those groups are great. But unfortunately, when we're dealing with high intensity, high stress, Um, emotionally charged situations and conversations, they're huge spreaders of misinformation. Um, And and what we've really tried to do is to really bring it back to evidence-based and fact-based care based on our relationships with providers and how we can help families mold and navigate the changing situation day by day. So, you know, it's never too late to hire a doula <laughs> um, unless you're about to have a baby as in pushing the baby out. That probably isn't the first thing that you would think as you're pushing the baby out, but you know, having that type of support can definitely be benefited from at any stage of pregnancy. And um, we, we've definitely seen families seek out support a lot sooner. Now that people are finding out that they're pregnant, we're encountering a lot more of those inquiries 
as well as a lot of people who, you know, maybe held off on making that decision, found out through talking to their care team, they were a little less confident in the ability to uh, have that support together. Maybe a family member was going to come in and be there for moral or emotional support and now can't. And they're finding late in the stages of their pregnancy that they need that support system. I just see so much value in getting connected with somebody early on that, you know, maybe you just periodically check in. That's a good sounding board for, like you're saying, these message boards are saying this, my doctor is saying this, you know, and trying to reconcile all these different opinions and fears and figure out exactly what you should be preparing for or expecting. Have you had clients outside of the D.C. area? I have. Yeah. So so what brought me to virtual support when we were creating this for COVID-19 was I had a family who I was their doula for their first baby and they moved. They moved to Michigan and they really wanted me to be there. And obviously I, I couldn't jump on a plane and fly to Michigan and be there for, you know, three weeks on either end of her due date. So they said, well, how do you feel about having maybe your doula on on a zoom call and I said we've never done it before but sure you know and we had the the privilege and benefit that we'd already had a relationship I'd been there for her previous birth and I knew her but um you know a lot of our clients that we're meeting right now we've never met before you know sometimes we've never even had more than a zoom interaction with because of when they've hired us uh and, and especially in my childbirth education series I've had clients who are joining those classes and those topic seminars from all over the country, which has been very fun and very cool to see. So I think one of the really beautiful things about finding a knowledgeable birth professional now, especially those of us who are game to continue this beyond COVID is that opens up a lot of options to if you really, really enjoy somebody and you want to have that support system for you and you may not live within the radius where that person can get to you quickly in your labor, that is an option for you. So those are exciting things that we're seeing. Very exciting. Why don't you, can you tell us where we can find more information? I'll link to your website and anything you mentioned, but just about potential virtual doula services or your childbirth education classes. Yeah, absolutely. So I am on social media as well as our website. I know you're going to link that, um, but it's MarylandStateDoulas.com. Um, Maryland State Doulas is on Facebook. We're on Instagram as well. And we, we constantly are doing live series and a couple of Tuesday talks um, and linking our classes there so that they're easy to sign up for just on the spot to be able to kind of get in. We actually have a comfort measures for partners series that is a quick little Friday night class we're doing this week um, that has had a lot of success in the past, especially over virtual platform um, for partners who maybe if you are not having a doula um, and you want to get some insight on how you can get some support measures, especially during COVID um, some of the doulas on our team get together and they go forward and show a lot of the different things that we have in our bags, how we can use tools to support physical maneuvers, when to use them, um, positioning techniques, and and why we do those things. So um, there's definitely lots of ways that I would love to connect with anybody and and really kind of give some insight. And also, I, I'm, I'm blessed that I know a lot of doulas that are physically in many different locations. So it, it's not uncommon for someone to contact me and say, you know, do you know anybody local to me in Indianapolis? Can I I get uh, a recommendation of who I can start reaching out to. And, and I'm happy to kind of guide in any scenario to, to help people find what they need during this time. Perfect. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to have conversations with me and really give us great insight into what's going on in the hospitals and all of the awesome things that you're doing to do virtual support and all of the lemonade that you're making out of the lemons of this current situation. Thank you so much, Heather. Let's definitely keep in touch. Um, Maybe we'll bring you back on in the near future and talk about more changes and what we're seeing and give some people some more tips on how they can be preparing Oh, thank you, Vanessa. I would absolutely love that. And I love the dialogue and discussion. And it's been it's been definitely fun 
to, to talk about these things and hopefully it'll provide some more insight. I, I know myself as a first time birthing person, how nervous I was about the things that I didn't know. And I think the most common thing I hear from families is I don't know what I don't know. And so hopefully this clears the air a little bit about some what to expect, especially in a time that may feel a little more nerve wracking than normal. Right. I think just having that heads up of, hey, when you get to the hospital, you know, they're going to test you and you're going to get your temperature taken and they may hand you a mask. And just knowing that that's coming, I think, takes some of the anxiety out of it. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much, Heather. I want to thank you for tuning into the pregnancy podcast today. I hope that you find this episode helpful. I know that I really enjoyed talking to Heather. I hope that you enjoyed hearing our conversation. As always, you can contact me, Vanessa, at PregnancyPodcast.com. And you can read the full transcript and see all of the resources that we mention at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash virtual doula birth changes. Thank you again to Blue Blocks for their support of this episode. You can save 15% off blue light blocking glasses with the promo code pregnancy. To check those out, you want to go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash glasses. Wearing these for just a few hours before bed is the easiest way that you can block out the blue light that can negatively affect your sleep, which just cascades into so many other areas of your health. Again, 15% off with the promo code pregnancy, and you can see those at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash glasses. <laughs>